Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Last week, we left off talking about stages of life, transitions, and learning to be aware in an effort to align ourselves in the direction of the people we long to be. I shared that I am in a stage of life change and feeling some freedom and space that I haven't had for a really long time. Now, whether a stage of life shift is a freeing up or an all-consuming time, what we're talking about today still applies. Today, we are talking about experimentation and self-discovery. The really cool but often very uncomfortable thing about life changes is that they open up an opportunity, a potential for learning and growth. They tend to push us into a place of having to do something differently and by extension, learning about ourselves, what fits for us and what doesn't, and sorting our way through how we either contort ourselves or how we make things contort to fit us. Like I said, it tends to be uncomfortable because as people, we crave routine, stability, predictability, and so on. We like to know what to expect and have a clear sense of what's coming next. Being pushed out of our comfort zone, out of our routine and predictable, and being forced into new and unknown terrain is going to feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. But it is also what makes stages of life changes feel so overwhelming and daunting. If we aren't accustomed to uncomfortable, if we aren't open to discomfort for the sake of growing, then we'll have a tendency to shut down, enter survival mode, and hope to God the discomfort ends soon and likely not take much from the opportunity other than negative self-perceptions and resentment toward the transition. Certainly, I can appreciate digging heels in and not wanting to enter a time of transition or change. I have had my fair share of metaphorically curling up into a ball and waiting for it all to be over, refusing to participate in the opportunity for growth. Often, the invitation in times of change felt unwanted and forced upon me, with all the doom and gloom feelings of the world ending. Sometimes, frankly, even in changes that were good and that I had a hand in choosing, because it felt big and hard and called me into discomfort I wasn't fully prepared to face. 
That said, out of these experiences, I've learned a lot and I've tried to adapt toward embracing these opportunities rather than trying to run and hide from them. And today I'm sharing the number one trick I can offer around how to engage and embrace times of transition, whether happy and hopeful changes or hard and unwanted ones. And here it is. Be a scientist. (laughs) Did that feel too simple? Okay, here's what I mean. Scientists, by nature, are curious. They're open to possibilities and interested not in any one specific agenda or outcome, or at least they're not supposed to be, but rather interested in learning a little more and allowing that to lead to new questions and directions. Scientists make educated guesses, but go where the data takes them. They set a hypothesis and try to prove it wrong rather than prove it right. They're willing to try things out, and when they don't work out the way they expected, they take that as learning. And this, you guys, this is what we have to do in our lives. Now, let me tell you, I have pitched the be a scientist idea to clients many times, and I'm going to be totally honest that it has never once gone over well. When I suggest to people who are struggling that they need to be open, curious, and willing to experiment, the response has not ever been, oh, Lindsay, yes, I am so in on that. Nope, not ever. They hear me and feel caught in the shutdown, the overwhelm, the feeling that they are already struggling and don't have the room to be open, don't have the mental space to be curious don't have the energy to try and experiment, and don't have the resilience to have anything go wrong and take it as learning to try again, especially if it might be a bunch of times. If that is the boat you are in as you are hearing me, please know and trust that I get it. I totally get you. When we are overwhelmed and beyond our capacity, the idea of openness, curiosity, experimentation, and risking expending all of that to get no further ahead feels impossible. And again, I don't just mean this in times that are clearly bad or hard. I remember a time in my life where there were awesome things happening. My son had started preschool, my daughter had just been born, and literally within days of her birth, We opened the clinic I now own and were blessed with so many incredible opportunities and so much support and encouragement. It was all good things. But in all honesty, there were too many good things all happening at once, and it was hella stressful. And in part, hella stressful because there was nothing to complain about, nothing to point to to say, this is why I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed. Life is just going too good all at the same time. What a whiner, right? That was a time where shutdown was for sure on the table. It felt like there was no time for curiosity. There was no mental space left to approach it differently or consider the learning. It felt full. I felt full. Without a doubt, that time in my life was a time of survival mode, even though it was all good stuff. And it wasn't until later that I made space to be curious about how that all went, what I would take away from it, 
and how I would do it differently or handle differently if faced with similar pieces in the future. But honestly, it feels even now, all these years later, like it was a missed opportunity. A missed opportunity to wonder why I was doing all of these things and if they all really needed to be done at that exact moment. To be curious about the cost and about the potential to adjust and realign in the moment to reduce regrets and refine the story I would eventually tell myself about this time and how I showed up in it. So let's talk about experimentation and being a scientist. Now, we're going to start in a place that will likely be familiar if you're a loyal listener of this show. Every good scientist starts by asking a question. That's where the process begins. And to ask the question to begin with, they need to have noticed a pattern or oddity that elicits the curiosity to say, why? And that brings us back once again to the need for awareness. We have talked about this so many times before on the show, that we can't take intentional steps in any direction if we don't first have awareness of where we're at and how it relates to where we imagine wanting to be or go. Scientists ask questions based on observations. They notice a thing, they're aware of a thing, and then get curious about it and ask more questions. So the first step in acting like a scientist in our lives is to have some carved out scientist time, to have time set aside where we can slow down and notice. When we are caught up in the survival mode, moment to moment chaos of our days, or when we numb out or distract ourselves in every downtime moment, we deprive ourselves of the opportunity to take stock and notice what's happening in us and around us. Having moments of quiet pause throughout a day and a week is what allows us to take note of patterns, oddities, and other bits and pieces that can inform the questions we ask next. Okay, step two in being a scientist is to ask a question. We've taken time to pause, we've looked inward and outward, and there are some things we're noticing. One of the insightful pieces that came up for me about a year ago was awareness that there was a craving for reconnecting with things I used to love and enjoy. I noticed feeling nostalgic in weird moments. A great example was watching Olympic rock climbing with my kids. And while I was never a great climber or even frankly a good climber, I used to rock climb and I really enjoyed this. It was actually a really meaningful lifeline for me at a particularly difficult time in my teens and continued to be important as a part of my life in early adulthood. I kept saying to my kids while it was on TV, mommy used to do rock climbing. And each time I said it, it felt sad and disconnected from anything they know about me now. So I got to asking some questions. Why is sadness the feeling that comes up when I think about this? What is it I miss about climbing? What would it look like to try to climb again? What would get in my way from climbing again? And so on. Now, let me be clear. I didn't run out and buy a harness and throw myself into climbing. That's not real life. 
but it opened up thoughts I hadn't allowed to live there before. And it has yielded some amazing moments for me and with my kids and family that I'm so grateful for. It turns out my son loves climbing too. He and I went for a mummy-son date last winter to a bouldering gym, and it was the best bonding. As a family, we hit up a kid's climbing gym while on holidays and made some fantastic memories together. And while hiking around Squamish, one of our favorite places on earth, we would make climbing challenges and compete with each other, and it brought endless laughs and some epic stories the kids will tell on repeat. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. So this brings us to step three of being a scientist. Experimenting. When we have awareness and some questions, we can take time to formulate a plan. But the key to this plan is unlike most planning in our lives where we have a sense of certainty and a need to know how it will turn out. We're going to enter this planning with curiosity and openness to it going in unexpected ways and being okay with that. Rigidity is not our friend here. The goal is to try some things and learn from them. It might look like experimenting with things you've done before or adapting things you've done before to fit into life now, or it might look like trying out totally new things. A while ago, I became aware of a pattern of snacking while watching TV before bed, and it was eroding my progress towards other goals. I asked questions about what would help interrupt this pattern and settled on needing something to occupy my hands that I wouldn't want to multitask with while snacking. Now, I used to knit, but always struggled with some wrist pain because I never learned how to properly hold the needles. I used to cross-stitch. I know, at heart I'm an 80-year-old woman, but while I enjoy the process, I don't have any interest in the final product, and I don't know anyone else who would want it either. So I settled on teaching myself to crochet. Yes, I know, still an 80-year-old woman. I got it. It takes less wrist effort than knitting. I can make things I can enjoy or gift or donate. Hello, toques for the homeless or baby hats for the maternity ward. And it keeps me physically and mentally engaged in something rather than mindlessly snacking. 
Thank goodness for YouTube and people who have specifically done videos on left-handed crochet. Right now I'm working on a sweater and I can hardly wait to model it later this fall or winter, whenever I get it finally finished. Beyond this feeling like a better choice than chips, I also love what it allows me to model for my kids. That I can learn new things. That I'm a maker. That it's okay to choose activities that you've never done before. That it's good to have activities that are your own. I love that they're seeing me engage in something and that it inspires them to create too. And hopefully that when they're adults, it will grant them permission to embrace self-caring actions that keep them happy and healthful too. Now, the examples I've offered so far have mainly come in times of transition that had some easing of pressure. But what about when the pressure is on and we're drowning under it? Well, truthfully, that's when it's even more important. While I can't claim to have done this perfectly every time I have found myself in this kind of place, I can wholeheartedly admit that whenever I find myself in times like this and can keep my scientist persona intact, it goes way better than the times I curl up, shut down, and hope to God it's over soon. I know that for most people, 2020 was the year that everything felt hard. And while I found it challenging to face the emergence of COVID and the constant adapting we were called into, I as a human and we as a family were hit far harder in 2021. Early in 2021, my husband went for surgery on his right foot to remove a tumor in his toe, which meant he, the stay-at-home parent in our home with two small kids, couldn't be upright for a week and couldn't drive for months. Now, we don't have any family close by, so it meant having to ask friends, hire teenagers in our neighborhood, and do all kinds of pretzel twisting to find ways to get the kids to and from school and be cared for while I continued to work. It meant working full-time and then coming home to a house that was constantly destroyed, making all of the meals, prepping all of the things, doing all of the driving to activities, managing all of the needs all the while navigating the needs of an adult who's in pain and awaiting news of whether the tumor was cancerous. It wasn't, thank God. I kept saying, I just need another adult, because the pressure was high and my capacity was limited. Shortly after healing from surgery, he, along with our kids, got back into their spring-through-fall bonding activity of BMX racing. It was going great, until it wasn't. Hubby was going hard in a race alongside a bunch of other middle-aged men and biffed it. Hard. He walked away with a pretty solid concussion that left him completely incapacitated again. He spent months recovering, struggling with dizziness, light and sound sensitivity, mood swings, severe headaches, and a bunch of other challenging symptoms. We were back to me being the only functioning adult in our home, now caring for our kids as well as for him. He could do some things and would make it through the day with the kids while I worked, but the toll would be really high and his capacity once I got home would be so reduced that there were days that truthfully it would have been easier if he hadn't have been there. During this time, I was still podcasting and working, and while that added pressure, it also really forced me to remain in touch with walking the talk. I was putting out episodes each week about self-care and emotion regulation, navigating burnout and reducing risks, supporting our brains and making them stronger. 
To some extent, I credit this work with giving me what I needed at this time in life because I think without it, I might have gone so far into survival mode that I might have lost touch and disconnected from what I know the better answers are just to get through the day. Instead, I did a lot of checking in with myself. I very intentionally set aside time on a weekly basis to check in with how I was doing, getting curious about my own needs, and working to put in some small and doable things to support myself because no one was going to come and rescue me from this. There was no one else to rely on. It had to come down to me, for me, or it was all going to fall apart. My check-ins led me into making small choices experimenting with what worked and tweaking what didn't. At one of the checkpoints, I was really aware that my energy was really low, and I decided I really needed to be more on top of taking my multivitamin. That was one small thing I could do. But then a week later, I checked in with myself again and realized that experiment was a flop because I kept forgetting to take it. So I looked at what made it hard to remember and experimented with some ways to make it easier. I moved the bottle to my kitchen table so it's right there when I have my dinner to take it with food. I set reminders on my phone which buzzed through to my watch and helped me remember to prioritize this. I brought some with me to work for nights when I work later and have dinner at the office. And with each tweak, I got more consistent and with that, I felt a bit better. It wasn't a huge thing. It didn't solve all the problems in the world, but it helped a little and little bits add up. I experimented with exercising in the mornings and realized once again in my life that this doesn't work for me. So I tweaked it and I found that after my kids are in bed works best for me, but that I need to make it happen. So I adapted a new routine of changing into my workout clothes while my kids were brushing their teeth so that by the time they were actually in bed, I wouldn't pull an I'm too tired and back out. My success rate when I'm already dressed for doing the damn thing is way higher than when I left that step for after the kids were asleep. I feel like what should be obvious to you is that none of this is rocket science. But when we treat it like science of some kind, we can become intentional about how we choose to engage in our lives and lean in to what we're in rather than fighting against it or succumbing to the weight of it. 2021 was a crappy year for us. It was incredibly hard, and I wouldn't want to do it again. But I also learned a lot about myself. I learned that I'm capable of more than I ever knew. And I learned how to care for myself ridiculously well in the midst of a really trying time, which gives me so much confidence in my ability to care for myself even better as we shift gears into a time where I don't have to be all things to all people all of the time. Because of 2021, I feel equipped and battle-tested for what comes next. I don't feel afraid of the process, and experimenting now feels like second nature. An adventure to learn to adapt to the moment I'm in. My hope is that you will come to feel that way about it too, and I would love to hear about your adventures in experimenting and discovering alignment. As we wrap up today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I love hearing what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, 
where you can follow me or tag me, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. I want to let you know that we're going to be running a promotion of the Beating the Breaking Point Resilience Training Program beginning next week. This will be the last time we run a reduced rate promotion for this program. And those who register will get instant access to the full program, as well as first access to the updated program we plan to release in the new year, with a ton of awesome bonuses designed to help you not only survive life on the front lines, but thrive in it. As a bit of a teaser, one of the pieces of feedback we've had about the program is a longing for more connection, support, and community. Those who register during this promotion will get access to new Q&A integration calls where I help walk you through troubleshooting and making sure that you take what you learn and have support in applying it. And that is only one of the upcoming bonuses you'll get access to. If you're on our email list, you'll see all the details in your inbox next week. If you want to know more, check out our website. The link is in the show notes. Or join our email list by signing up for our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, an awesome downloadable PDF tool that helps you to self-assess burnout and walks you through some steps to prevent or reduce the risks. To those who love this podcast and share about it to those you know, I want to say a huge thank you. I so value you helping us to make a difference for other frontline helpers who risk so much to serve our communities. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But way more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.